Chapter Eighteen of Whispering Smith by Frank Spearman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen New Plans. Callahan crushed the tobacco under his thumb in the palm of his right hand. So I'm sorry to add, he concluded, speaking to McCloud, that you're now out of a job. The two men were facing each other across the table in McCloud's office. Personally, I'm not sorry to say it either, added Callahan, slowly filling the bowl of his pipe. McCloud said nothing to the point, as there seemed to be nothing to say until he had heard more. I never knew before that you were left-handed, he returned evasively. It's a lucky thing, because it won't do for a freight traffic man nowadays to let his right hand know what his left hand does, observed Callahan, feeling for a match. I'm the only left-handed man in the traffic department, but the man that handles the rebates, Jimmy Black, is cross-eyed. Buck's offered to send him to Chicago to have Bryson straighten his eyes, but Jimmy thinks it's better to have them as they are for the present so he can look at things in two different ways, one for the Interstate Commerce Commission and one for himself. "'You haven't heard, then,' continued Callahan, returning to his riddle about McCloud's job. "'While Lance Dunning has gone into the United States court and got an injunction against us on the Crawling Stone Line, tied us up tighter than zero. No more construction there for a year, at least.' dunning comes in for himself and for a cousin who is his ward and three or four little ranchers have filed bills so it's up to the lawyers for eighty per cent of the gate receipts and peace personally i'm glad of it it gives you a chance to look after this operating for a year yourself we're going to be swamped with freight traffic this year and i want it moved through the mountains like checkers for the next six months you know what i mean george to McCloud the news came, in spite of himself, as a blow. The results he had attained in building through the lower valley had given him a name among the engineers of the whole line. The splendid showing of the winter construction, on which he had depended to enable him to finish the whole work within the year, was by this news brought to naught. Those of the railroad men who said he could not deliver a completed line within the year could never be answered now. And there was some slight bitterness in the reflection that the very stumbling block to hold him back, to rob him of his chance for a reputation with men like Glover and Bucks, should be in the hands of Dixie Dunning. He made no complaint. On the division he took hold with new energy and bent his facilities on the operating problems. At Marion's he saw Dixie at intervals, and only to fall more hopelessly under her spell each time. She could be serious, and she could be volatile, and she could be something between which he could never quite make out. She could be serious with him when he was serious, and totally irresponsible the next minute with Marion. On the other hand, when McCloud attempted to be flippant, Dixie could be confusingly grave. Once, when he was bantering with her at Marion's, she tried to say something about her regret that complications over the right-of-way should have arisen. But McCloud made light of it, and waved the matter aside as if he were a cavalier. Dixie did not like it, but it was only that he was afraid she would realize he was a mere railroad superintendent 
with hopes of a record of promotion quite blasted and as if this obstacle to a greater reputation were not enough a wilier enemy threatened in the spring to leave only shreds and patches of what he had already earned the crawling stone river is said to embody historically all of the deceits known to mountain streams below the box canyon it ploughs through a great bed of yielding silt its own deposit between the two imposing lines of bluffs that resist its wanderings from side to side of the wide valley this fertile soil makes up the rich lands that are the envy of less fortunate regions in the great basin but the crawling stone is not a river to give a quiet title to one acre of its own making the toil of its centuries spreads beautifully green under the june skies and the unsuspecting settler lulled into security by many years of the river's repose settles on its level bench lands and lays out his long lines of possession but the sioux will tell you in their own talk that this man is but a tenant at will that in another time and at another place the stranger will inherit his fields and that the crawling stone always comes back for its own this was the peril that glover and mccloud essayed when they ran a three-tenths grade and laid an eighty-pound rail up two hundred and fifty miles of the valley it was in local and exclusive territory a rich prize and they brought to their undertaking not perhaps greater abilities than other men but incomparably greater material resources than early american engineers had possessed success such as theirs is cumulative when the work is done one man stands for it but it represents the work of a thousand men in every walk of american industry where the credit must lie with the engineer who achieves is in the application of these enormous resources of industrial triumphs to the particular conditions he faces in the problem before him in the application lies the genius called success and this is always new moreover men like grover and mccloud were fitted for a fight with a mountain river because trained in the western school where poverty or resource had sharpened the wits the building of the crawling stone line came with the dawn of a new day in american capital when figures that had slept in fairies dreams woke into everyday use and when enlarged calculation among men controlling hitherto unheard-of sums of money demanded the best and most permanent methods of construction to ensure enduring economies in operating thus the constructing of the crawling stone line opened in itself new chapters in rocky mountain railroad building an equipment of machinery much of which had never before been applied to such building had been assembled by the engineers steam shovels had been sent in battalions grading machines and dump wagons had gone forward in trainloads and an army of men were operating in the valley a huge steel bridge three thousand feet long was now being thrown across the river below the dunning ranch the winter had been an unusual one even in a land of winters the season's fall of snow had not been above an average 
but it had fallen in the spring and had been followed by excessively low temperatures throughout the mountains june came again but a strange june the first rise of the crawling stone had not moved out the winter frost and the stream lay bound from bank to bank and for hundreds of miles under three feet of ice when june opened backward and cold there had been no spring heavy frosts lasting until the middle of the month gave sudden way to summer heat and the indians on the upper valley reservation began moving back into the hills then came the rise creek after creek in the higher mountains ice-bound for six months burst without warning into flood soft winds struck with the sun and stripped the mountain walls of their snow rain set in on the desert and far in the high northwest the crawling stone lifting its four-foot cap of ice like a bed of feathers began rolling it end over end down the valley in the box forty feet of water struck the canyon walls and ice floes were hurled like torpedoes against the granite spurs the crawling stone was starting after its own when the river rose the earlier talk of dunning's men had been that the crawling stone would put an end to the railroad pretensions by washing the two hundred and fifty miles of track back to the peace river where it had started this much in the beginning was easy to predict but the railroad men had turned out in force to fight for their holdings and while the ranchers were laughing the river was flowing over the bench lands in the upper valley at the dunning ranch the confidence of the men in their own security gave way to confusion as the river spreading behind the ice jams into broad lakes and bursting in torrents through its barriers continued to rise treacherous in its broad and yellow quiet lifting its muddy head in the stillness of the night moving unheard over broad sandy bottoms backing noiselessly into forgotten channels stealing through heavy alfalfa pastures eating a channel down a slender furrow then with the soil melting from the root the plant has toppled at the head the rivulet has grown a stream night falls and in the morning where yesterday smiling miles of green fields looked up to the sun rolls a mad flood of waters this is the crawling stone end of chapter eighteen